People expect imperfection on your stories. If you're to curate this perfect looking story, it's going to turn people off and they're going to click away very quickly. People watch stories because they want to connect with the real human being there. So the more you can be imperfect and the more you can be authentic and vulnerable, uh, the more real you will come across and the more your audience will get to know, like, and trust you because of it. I'm Doug Bobst personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage, and today I have an extremely special guest. Um, he's one of the smartest, youngest people that I've come across with when in terms of social media marketing, business, and just being a good dude. I am here with Brock Johnson, who you may recognize as the son of Shalene and Brett Johnson. A little bit more about Brock is he is a 22-year-old college student athlete with a passion for helping others create connections and grow their brands using short-form video and storytelling. As co-host of the Build Your Tribe podcast, instructor of multiple online courses, a viral TikTok creator, and a six-figure online entrepreneur, Brock has helped thousands of entrepreneurs learn to build their business even with limited time and money. He has a specialty in social media storytelling, and his mission is to help you grow your brand and effectively market using stories. What's up, Brock? Welcome to the show, man. Hey, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you're here, man. I got to tell you, it's super impressive to watch somebody like yourself who's so busy in college with you know playing football, and obviously you got academics and you know having a personal life to you know, building and managing an online business, which is why how we got connected. Obviously, I saw you through your mom and through your dad and how proud they are of you. And it was inspiring to just, you know, look at what you were doing and then how you helped me with, you know, navigating my Instagram a little bit better. And then I'm just kind of, um, I'm a huge Christian too. I love the, I love families is, a, is important to me as well. And just watching how your family dynamic, how you guys remain so close yet so far away with everything going on is very inspiring. So, I want to take you back a little bit. Um, you know, obviously football is huge for your family. Your dad, um, I, I believe, played in the CFL and at Michigan State, if I'm not mistaken, right? And yep, then your, yep. uh, your Uncle Rob, um, you know, I know he played for the Bills, and I just remember him, um, you know, back in the day you know, being their start, starting quarterback. And now here you are, the quarterback for, for UC Davis. Was football – like growing up, was football always obviously a huge part of your life because of like watching your dad and your uncle, or was it more so because you just love the game? Yeah, I would say uh, probably equal parts. I definitely loved the game from a really young age. Uh, from the time I was born, pretty much my uncle was in the NFL. So I didn't know a time where I didn't have a relative who wasn't playing professional football. So up until, you know, just about when I was in middle school, I had my uncle to look up to and watch on Sundays. Um, and then also with my dad and my grandpa, both being high school football coaches, I was always around it. So as soon as school ended, I would go to the high school and just be around the high school football players all day. Uh, so I fell in love with the game really, really young. Um, and I think part of that was just the early exposure and being around my family uh, definitely helped. But yeah, it was definitely a love of mine. And I was 
itching from as young as I possibly could to start playing football and start with flag and start tackle football and, and get the pads on. So it's, it's always been a love of mine for sure. So what age did you start playing? Would you say? I started flag football when I was like five or six. Um, and I started playing tackle football in first grade. So I don't know, was that like seven, seven, eight years old? That's about when I started playing. Tackle. Hmm. So how, um, like I know the number 11 is super important to your family, right? Like the number 11's, um, I, you know, it's, I know it's tattooed on your dad. It's, ta it's tattooed on you as well, right? Yeah, actually my mom, sister, dad, and I, we all have the number 11 tattoo. So where does, I know you're obviously your family, you, you wore that as your number, like their number, but where did that come from? Is it like a part of a Bible verse? Is it part of just like a, like a lucky number? Like where does the number 11 come from? Yeah, so it started with my grandpa. He actually played college football in no state. Um, and he was the first number 11. So he was always number 11 throughout his entire career. And then it was just something that my dad and uncle picked up. Um, and then my sister and I adopted it whenever we were younger playing sports. And now it's like the whole family thing. That's really, really cool. So what, so what was it like, I guess, you know, you're, you're coming up, you're playing football, you got your dad who's a coach, you got your grandpa who was a coach, your uncle's in the NFL. Was there a lot of pressure growing up to kind of fill into that like Johnson quarterback you know, footsteps. I mean, it just seems to me like your dad's super easygoing. Obviously your mom is, is very lively, but yet supportive. So I'm mm -hmm. sure you got a lot of support, but I'm sure as a male, did you, was it challenging, like fearing that am I going to live up to like what my dad and my uncle did or what was that, what was that like? Yeah, absolutely. There was a lot of pressure. Uh, not a ton was put on me directly or explicitly by my parents or by my family. They were really encouraging for me to do whatever I wanted. And I did a lot of whatever I wanted growing up. Right. Uh, but from outside, from random people at school, they would know who my family was. And there was always that question of like, oh, aren't you going to be a quarterback? Aren't you going to play football? Uh, so that pressure existed. Um, and it was something that was definitely tough at times to navigate growing up. Um, but I don't know any different. And I wouldn't have changed the way I grew up uh, one bit. Yeah, man. I mean, it just seems like on top of that, um, you know, on top of the football thing, I have a buddy who lives out in Laguna Beach. He's a good friend of mine. Um, and he just like the Johnson family is known for football in, in like Orange County. Like everybody knows your dad just because he's like a, you know, very well, like a well-known coach and everybody obviously knows your family. And then on top of outside football, you got Shalene Johnson, like one of the, like, I mean, I've been a trainer for a decade and I, um, obviously I know who she is just through the fitness community, but she's one of the, the most, probably one of the most important fitness icons of, of our time as your mom. So now you got that, right? <laughs> You're like, Oh my gosh, yeah. like my, my dad's like a, you know, played division one quarterback. He was in the CFL. My mom's like a fitness model, um, you know, creating revolutionary fitness programs and a marketing machine. Right. And yeah. just watching how supportive they, they are of you, at least from what I can see on Instagram, I actually said something to your dad the other day about it. That just watching how they still come to your games, despite like everything yeah. they have going on mm -hmm. is they set the bar for family first, you know, finances and work second. Right. And yeah. how, how did that help alleviate a lot, a lot of the pressure, like growing up with having parents like that? Because I'm sure, as you know, a, a lot of people get direct pressure from their parents. And mm -hmm. while you, you didn't have that, you know, how did it help having such a support system like your mom and your dad to not have as much, you know, direct pressure put on you through while you were growing up? Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. So a lot of people preach family first. A lot of people say that they're family first. 
I can truly say that my parents lived it. Um, and I think they were able to live it because of the freedom that their businesses that they owned created. They built that into their businesses from the very start that they wanted the freedom to every single day, drive us to school, pick us up from school. They never missed a game. Even my freshman year uh, of college when I was on the East Coast playing at Georgetown, my dad would fly six hours across the United States every single week just to watch me play. And my mom uh, probably came with him 80, 90% of the time. I think there was only maybe like one or two weekends where she couldn't come. Uh, but they made it a priority to put my sister and I first. Um, and they also explained to my sister and I from a young age that they were able to do that because they created this freedom through entrepreneurship, through owning their own businesses. Uh, so from a young age, we kind of started to understand that. And they, like I said, they never put that pressure on us. And I think also uh, we understood that all of this freedom that they created was through owning their own business. So at least in myself and I think it's starting to show up now in my sister. We had like entrepreneurial dreams and we wanted to own our business, own our own business when we grew up uh, because we saw the freedom and the flexibility that created in our parents. And I think we wanted to uh, emulate that in our future families and lives as well. Yeah, man, you bring up a good point. Actually, what was going to segue into my next thing we were going to talk about. You talk about how your, your parents created this business um, and they actually live family first. Like it's like they're their mission is family first, despite mm -hmm. everything else. And what's really inspiring about you is let's face it. Like if you didn't want to, you probably didn't have, you probably wouldn't have to work right now. Right. Like I'm mm -hmm. sure, you know, it's no secret how successful your, your family is with their business endeavors. Right. Yeah. But here you are, you're playing football, you're, you know, you're in school and yet you're not living, you know, with the silver spoon in your mouth and your parents' footsteps. You're like, all right, I'm going to create my own business. I'm going to help people with their Instagram stories. I'm going to help them with hashtags. You know, where did this start from? Because I got to admit, just even from like, I dove into the hashtag course a little bit last night. I was like, wow, this is stuff I never even thought of like at all. And I was like, mm -hmm. it's such powerful and valuable information. Like what made you like step into that role? So uh, I appreciate that. Definitely. When I started out my freshman year of college, I was very well aware of this silver spoon stereotype. Um, and I almost felt guilty entering into my freshman year and having teammates who were struggling thinking about where their next meal was coming from or how they were going to get food. And my parents were, were blessing me with the opportunity. They were just paying for my lunches and paying for my meals and paying for my tuition. Um, so I, I felt almost guilty about that. So I decided very quickly before my first fall freshman semester even started that I wanted to start my own business. I wanted to be able to provide for myself so that I wouldn't have to worry about where my next meal was coming from, but so that I also wouldn't have to rely on my parents for that. So it was actually one day, one late night at like 2 a.m. in Georgetown. Uh, I was having a conversation with my mom and we we're bouncing business ideas off each other's heads and uh, came up with Snapchat as a way to, to teach people really at first how to keep their kids safe using Snapchat. That was how it all originally started. Very quickly, that shifted into a way to teach uh, small business owners and marketers uh, how to use Snapchat. And then from there, as Snapchat started to get taken over by Instagram stories, uh, I've transitioned it now to Instagram stories. But it really started with just trying to create financial freedom and financial independence from my parents, uh, my freshman year of college. That's crazy you say that. And I think 
you know, what you said is very true, right? That's a big fear a lot of kids whose parents are successful have is that silver spoon. Am I going to live up to that? And I see it now because I, part of my business is I, a lot of my clients um, who work out with me are kids who struggle with addiction. And one of the main causes of that is they have these super wealthy parents and that they're very, they're like emotionally unavailable towards them because they think just because they provide them money and income that that's mm-hmm. it. Like they don't have to do anything. And th- these kids still need love from their parents. Yeah. So, you know, the way you said that and how you took ownership of your own, you know, role and responsibility is really, you know, it's inspirational because p- more people, you know, need to hear that. So, you know, you're in college, you've got, um, you know, your own business. Um, what's it like? staying away from, cause I, I see, I obviously I see, I, I'm 32. I see a lot of kids getting in the wrong things. They're partying every night, getting wasted. They're smoking a lot of weed and snorting cocaine in college. I mean, and I'm not mm-hmm. saying that there's anything a hundred percent wrong with that. What I'm, you know, I mean, what I'm, I mean, yes, I'm big against addiction and everything, but I know people party in college, right? So I'm not mm-hmm. going to shame anybody who does. How do you, how do you navigate through all that given that you are an athlete, you are, um, you know, a scholar and you have a business and you have a personal, like, how do you navigate all that? Yeah, I think uh, a great way to put this is the way my head coach puts it. He calls it the quality balance of life. And when you hear balance, we often think that everything has to be equal. I have to spend two hours a day on football, two hours a day on business, two hours a day on school, but it's really to reach the quality of life that I want I need to find a balance in all of those things. So I still do go out sometimes. I'm not going out every night. I'm not going out every weekend even, but I go out from time to time. And I think that I still have a pretty normal social life. Like I'll still play video games with my friends. Saturday, I don't think I did one productive thing. I said that to my girlfriend. I don't think I did one productive thing all of Saturday. I was just going to sporting events on campus and hanging out with friends and making TikTok videos. So I think that there is definitely a balance there, but it goes back to where are my priorities? Um, And if my schedule doesn't align with my priorities, then something has to change and I'm not willing to budge on my priorities. Those are very firm. uh, So then I just have to adjust my schedule accordingly. So there is a lot of planning that goes into it. Every Sunday is usually spent just like booking out my week and how everything's going to work hour by hour. Uh, A lot of my time is spent with football. A lot of my time is spent with business, but those are the two biggest priorities in my life. Uh, so that's where most of my time goes to. I feel like I'm talking to a 45 year old man right now because it's like, <laughs> it's like the way you're like, all right, my work life balance. Like I need to be like focused with this and that. And if it's out of line, like, you know, and I, you're right. You know, you still need to go out and have some fun. That's obviously mm-hmm. still important, but the fact that you have everything in balance, it's it just a, it's a reflection, not only of your work ethic, but also like it goes back to the family dynamic and how important that core family is mm-hmm. because you're getting this from what Shalene and Brett, they set the standard and they are role models for you. And a lot of people, they have family members who do this, but they're not good role models because they're the ones that are putting direct pressure on their kids or they're not showing them unconditional love. So like, this is why it all kind of comes back to that. Um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about um, like some, maybe some adversity you've hit with competition, starting an Instagram business Mm-hmm. where people might be like, what does this kid know about Instagram? Like, what does he know? Have you come across that being that you're so young and you like, I mean, and in, in, within yourself and like, how have you kind of navigated that? Yeah, absolutely. So exteriorly on the outside, there have been people 
um, who have challenged me in, in that regard. And I think that probably is uh, the biggest challenge of doing what I do at the age I am. Uh, it's just having that credibility is like, sure, I might know about Instagram because I'm 22 years old. But besides that, like what credibility do I have to teach marketing or to teach these tools or techniques? And I've definitely uh, received DMs and, and gotten comments and emails from angry people who, who, who have challenged me in that regard. And then I think sometimes even internally, there's a little bit um, of that like imposter syndrome where I'm wondering like, am I even really credible to teach this? Do I even really know what I'm doing? Um, and so that's definitely been a challenge that, I, that I've been faced in the past. I think that kind of what I like to remind myself of is that I'm not supposed to have all the answers. I think that as a marketer, as an entrepreneur, it's not my job to know everything every time and know all the answers. I think instead it's my job and my responsibility to be constantly asking questions. And he who asks better questions gets better answers. So I'm constantly searching for like, what better questions can I ask? How can I research more and, and investigate more and find out more about Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever it is I'm teaching on? Um, and then as soon as I get those answers, I just provide them for my audience. That's really my goal is to just provide those answers and serve my audience to the best of my ability. Yeah. I mean, what you said is so true and I can definitely relate. I mean, when I was, I wrote my first book, I think I was like 24 and I had that same imposter syndrome. I was like, am I good enough? Like, what do I know? I'm not an author. Like I can, I barely passed like eighth grade or whatever. Right. And you get all these haters that come at you and then you realize like the people who are coming at you like that are, are insecure with themselves. Right. Because mm -hmm. you don't see, I think I was listening to Joe Rogan's podcast and he was like, you don't see Michael Jordan leaving comments, negative comments <laughs> on, on people's Instagram. Like yeah. you don't see your mom going out, like hating on people. You don't go and leave, you know, it's just yeah. people who are successful and happy with themselves. They don't do that because they don't have time. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, the one thing I would add is, you know, you talked about asking more questions. I know faith is important to you and Jesus asked a lot of questions, right? He was mm -hmm. one that would ask a lot of questions to seek more answers and gain clarity. And he often got a lot of people that threw stuff at him. Yeah. Where does your faith like play in? I know your entire family is Christian and that's a big part of their life as well, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it's funny because my second book was called Faith, Family, and Fitness, which are three big words that help um, navigate my life. How is faith in yourself, faith in God, helped you know that like starting a business like this transferring schools um whatever you're working on now was the right thing to do and you have you just know that things are going to work out yeah absolutely so uh growing up actually interestingly we were christian we called ourselves christian but we never really went to church or anything that didn't start actually um until my freshman year of college so or my freshman year of high school excuse me so probably about six or seven years ago now um and I very quickly went all in and, uh, did something happen? Did something like happen? Was it, did you guys at a breaking point? And you're like, you know what? Like we got to like give this Jesus thing a try again. No, it was actually, uh, we were just kind of fortunate to grow up near Saddleback church. The really oh, yeah, yeah, popular yeah, yeah. mega Rick, church. Rick, Rick Warren's church. Yeah. Rick Warren's church. Exactly. We grew up like 15, 20 minutes from there and we had lots of friends who would go and they'd always invite us. And then one day we were just like, okay, well, let's go. Like there was, I think there was even a guest speaker and they were like, Hey, just, you know, there's a guest speaker. Why don't you come watch? So we came and we ended up going every single week for like three years straight. We didn't miss a weekend. Um, and I really took off in my faith really quickly, grew really close to Jesus very quickly. And it's huge. It's how I start my day every single day of 2020 so far. I've woken up 
uh, and I do like an hour of devotional and that just kind of sets my attitude and intentions for the rest of the day. Uh, but specifically in terms of business, my mom instilled it in me from a very young age, like an abundance mindset and a growth mindset. Um, and then now as I'm, as I'm growing deeper in my faith and trusting more in the Lord, I see that like every time I give, I get back tenfold um, and that the Lord will always provide. So I've never been a big warrior as it is. Uh, but if there ever is a time where I'm questioning my financial status or thinking about, you know, what am I going to be doing five, 10 years from now? I'm very quick to be reminded of, of the Lord and how he will always provide uh, more than enough for what I need. Yeah. And it's so true. And you talk about giving a lot. And I think you hit a really good point because I think a lot of people, they hear the word Christian and they cringe because they're like, oh, it's those people. They're wearing like white shirts and they're going to church and they hate everybody. And it's, I, I, it's all about for me. And I think it's the same for you. It's about a relationship. And, yep, yep. and I think when you, when you're so fired up to give on a daily basis, whether it's to your audience, whether it's to your people around you, whether it's to family, you know, you're on the right path and you're right. You've reaped what you sow. And if you're constantly giving and providing value, like I think there's no secret why the best people on Instagram who, who do the most are the ones who are providing the most free content free mm -hmm. value because they're giving and they're receiving back tenfold because it's coming from an authentic and genuine spot. Um, so I see a lot of people who are your age, who are 20, 21, 22, 23 years old and they're struggling. They're struggling to find themselves. They are in a spot where they're like, gosh, like I'm just graduated college. Like I can barely get a job. Like what advice would you give to some kid who's like really like trying to figure out like what he wants to do as far as like, should he start up his own business or should he continue to go to graduate school? I mean, do you have any advice for a kid who you, maybe some of your friends are in this position where they're stuck? Like, what would you say? Yeah. So I've heard this said time and time again, and it might be a cliche at this point, uh, but comparison is the thief of joy. So I think that a lot of times, right as we graduate from college or when we're in college, uh, we feel this stress and this pressure of, of looking around us and seeing everyone else doing all of these great things. We see it on Instagram, we see it on their stories, and we feel like this burden that we need to do that. I was actually just reading uh, this book called Permission to Feel yesterday, and they did a, a research study on Yale students, and they found that the most common form of stress, quote unquote, uh, that these students were feeling was actually best defined as envy towards their other students, their other classmates who seemed to be doing better than them. Like they wanted what those students had. And I think that so much of us are we're like, oh my gosh, like I'm 23, I just graduated college. Like, all right, it's either grad school or I need to start working. Um, but 23, 22, like it's such a young age. I would encourage any kid who's, who's still trying to figure out like what their thing is to just start experimenting, like start, trying out different things and find your passion along the way. I was lucky to find mine at a young age, but I'm also aware that that could change and my passions often do change. Um, and so is owning a business right for everyone? I don't think so. I don't think everyone is meant to be an entrepreneur. Just like I don't think everyone is meant to go to, to graduate school and become a doctor or to become a lawyer or professor or whatever. Um, it's what are you passionate about? And what are you really good at? And when you bring those two things together and find a way to serve people through those two things, I think that's the sweet spot. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. Like passion and purpose, when they come together, that's where the money comes from. That's where joy and fulfillment comes from. 
And you said something that was really important, I think for especially kids your age, people graduating high school to hear is that, you know, if you have to take a leap year, a gap year, that's fine, right? If you have to take a few years to find yourself after you graduate college before deciding if you're going to, you know, invest another 50 grand into graduate school or whatever, that's fine. Yeah. But the fact is, like you said, I mean, I'm going to have to pick up that book because I, you're right. I think a lot of people, especially now with social media, it's so easy to compare yourself to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So easy to compare your, the behind the scenes of your life to the highlight reel of somebody and be like, man, like my life sucks. You know, these people yeah. have a happy family. They just bought a new car. They got this, they got that. And here I am like struggling to pay my bills, depressed, out of shape. And it really makes it more difficult for us to look ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what, like, what can I control? Like, what can I lean into right now? And so I think the advice you just provided was, was outstanding. I want to shift gears and talk more business because I know like your biggest passion right now is helping people with Instagram stories. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm obviously trying to continue to learn. I'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening or are on Instagram and using stories. What would you say the top, you know, three mistakes people are doing that no one's telling them are right now. Like no one's talking about like these three mistakes on Instagram stories. What would you say they are? Yeah, I would say the first one, the biggest one uh, that people are failing to do is just failing to be consistent on Instagram stories. And it's tough because consistency on Instagram stories really means uh, more content than, than really anywhere else. Um, where you might be posting one time a day on your feed or maybe every other day, uh, on Instagram stories, I recommend posting at least 10 times per day. Um, and I know that can seem like a lot and a scary number, but as you post throughout the day and as you post every day, your views will continue to increase over time. You'll get more engagement because of that. Um, and so the, really the biggest mistake that people are making, first of all, is just failing to be consistent with that. Yeah. And like, you're right. Consistency is key. Just not just with that, with anything. So like we talk about consistency. Okay. That's one thing. What would you say as far as posting about that? Like, what would you say? Cause I see, you see a lot of people, they just share other people's content. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've obviously I've been guilty of doing that. I mean, I've, I'm trying to get better at like just continual to post like what I'm doing throughout the day and, mm-hmm. and things like that. What would you say are like how would you say people should kind of like plan out what they're posting in their stories to not only increase the engagement but to provide value so it doesn't look like so it looks like that the that the consumer or whoever's on the opposite end of that there's something in it for them yeah absolutely so i think this is a, a important question to ask and i feel like there are so many people listening to podcasts and and buying courses and listening to experts on like what should i post on instagram stories and uh, again, the, the second probably biggest mistake that people are making is they're freaking themselves out over trying to curate the perfect Instagram story. What I like to say is focus on documentation over creation. So really what that means is, like you said, posting throughout the day, documenting your day, really like a newscaster would, uh, showing us bits and pieces in your day so that your audience can get to know more about you. and then. If you really want to um, build your business or serve your audience, I think that your goal should be maybe once a day trying to engage them in some way on your Instagram story. So whether that's in a poll, asking them to screenshot or to DM you or, or something like that, just asking engagement one time per day. And then at least one out of those 10 posts uh, should be something that is trying to serve your audience. And that doesn't necessarily mean you know, giving away a freemium or offering a ton of like valuable content, 
maybe you're just sharing an awesome post that you saw somewhere else. That's a great way to serve your audience because you're now connecting them to this awesome post you saw. Or maybe you're just posting like a top three tips or a top tip for something, or maybe something totally unrelated. Maybe you're a fitness expert, but you're like recommending this great coffee brand that you drink in the morning. That's another great way to serve your audience. It doesn't always necessarily have to be, you know, a free gift related to your brand or your business. It's really about documenting as much as you can, documentation over creation, and then sprinkling in some serving and some engagement along the way. Yeah, I mean, gosh, I mean, the the amount of people, you're right, that I see that just don't do that. And like I said, I'm guilty of it too at times. There's a lot. And there's a lot of people that they listen to all these podcasts, they read all these books, um, but they don't, the implementation of it just stops. There's nothing that happens. And I think implement, implementation is key in swallowing the, our pride and trying to be perfect, like waiting for the right picture or the right angle or the right filter and just like putting up good content, right? Mm-hmm. And while I think like you would probably agree, like the content in your feed should look somewhat professional, right? That it, mm-hmm. when it's in your stories, you know, you're just, you're like kind of like freestyling it anyway, right? And people like, well, yeah. it'll be, it humanizes you, right? Absolutely. People expect imperfection on your stories. If you're to curate this perfect looking story, it's going to turn people off and they're going to click away very quickly. People watch stories because they want to connect with the real human being there. So the more you can be imperfect and the more you can be authentic and vulnerable, uh, the more real you will come across and the more your audience will get to know, like, and trust you because of it. Yeah, you're right. And I think, you know, people, they're missing opportunities on Instagram stories to connect with their audience in a way that, you know, is engaging to them, like asking them questions on what they, they like or sh- being authentic and real about some stuff they're struggling with. And they're just, I think they're, they're failing to, to hit that opportunity. What are some other things you think people are missing when, they, when it comes to social media strategy? Is it, is it hashtags? Is it uh, not using Instagram TV enough? Is it uh, just being very self-serving about it? Like, what do you think people are, are, what are some other mistakes people are making? Yeah, I think that uh, one, and it's an analogy that I like to use, uh, is that oftentimes if we're to think about social media like a party, we're constantly worried about who can I get to come to my party? We're constantly like looking around the corner and peeking out the front door. Like who, who, who else can I bring to the party? And then as soon as someone walks through the door, we're like, Hey, tag three more people to also come to this party. We're constantly trying to get more of a following and more engagement and, and serve ourselves. When instead the best party host is the person who's serving the people who are already at the party. The best way to have a better party and have more people come to the party is to serve the people who are already inside. So if we're to translate that to social media, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever, the best way to grow your following and increase your engagement, no matter what the algorithm or the app is, is to serve the people who are already following you and ask yourself what you can do for them rather than what they can do for you and just constantly serve and over deliver to your audience. And it might not be overnight success. It might not be virality. You know, you might not have a post, have 3.5 million views in a couple hours, but you are going to gain true followers, true fans who are going to stick with you. They're going to become customers and they're going to really love you for the content that you provide. And your following is going to grow because of that. Absolutely. I mean, you're so right in that, like, 
it's just like any other business. You got to really yeah. focus on your current demographic. You got to really engage with them on an authentic level. And then like the referrals will come naturally. Like people will mm-hmm. naturally want to tag their friends and bring them to your party. If the party's good, if the yeah. party sucks, you're going to have to beg people to come. Right. So exactly. Just making sure you're like sharing authentically is what I'm hearing and, and being like, okay, like if I want people to come to the party, I got to first be okay with my own party to be able to share (laughs) authentically. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you made some good points on, on that. And I think like the hashtag thing, I know even like learning from you so far, do you think people are too broad with their hashtags where they just are missing the, they're completely missing the bar and they're like, all right, I'm just going to pick 10 to 15 to 20 random hashtags, throw a dart and hope it works. Like, do you think there's some strategy in picking hashtags? Absolutely. There's a very complex strategy. Um, as you know, as you've been going through help with hashtags a little bit, everyone nowadays seems to know that hashtags, yeah, they have importance, but how do I find the specific hashtags that I need to help me grow? Oh, well, I'll, you know, I'm in the fitness industry, so I'll just Google like fitness hashtags or best, right. uh, best, you know, fitness or art or whatever hashtags, and then just copy those and paste those and hope that they work. That is almost never very, very rarely going to work. Instead, what we need is a list of niched down specific targeted hashtags. Hashtag in front of our target audience. And then uh, once we find those hashtags, hashtags where our posts can, as I describe it uh, in help with hashtags, rank as a top post, Uh, Once we have those hashtags generated, then those hashtags, they don't go in our caption. There's a little bit of specific language here. They don't go in our caption. They actually go um, in the first comment below the post. Um, And that's the best way to to reach your target audience through very specific hashtags, not just the big popular ones, but really targeted hashtags. Why do you think that's better in the comments than say like in the copy itself? Is it for distraction? Does it look more professional, more clean? Is that it? Exactly. Exactly. There is studies have shown that there is no difference um, in terms of engagement and in terms of like the actual uh, back end. Like your post will get added to those hashtags, whether you put it in your caption or the first comment doesn't make a difference. But visually, it looks way cleaner, way more professional if those hashtags are tucked away in the comments section rather than clunky at the bottom of your whatever beautiful caption you've written. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, you bring up some really good points and some amazing value that a lot of people don't think about. Like everybody kind of knows they need to be doing Instagram TV. People know they need to be posting stuff in their stories, but exactly like what and how, what you just kind of walk people through it, just giving them a taste of that, I think is going to be really helpful for, I mean, even people who are just trying to share their story, they might not even have a business, but you know, mm-hmm. to help them reach more people. Um, so my next question I think is more personal, I guess. What's like, what's like one Johnson tradition with your family that you're, you know, you're a kid that you like love the most. Like, is it something with, you know, around the holidays, maybe it's a vacation spot, something you guys do for your birthdays. Like, is there a tradition that like you all get together and you can't wait to do that you, that you could talk about? Yeah. So growing up, uh, the Johnson family vacation that we took every year with all the Johnsons was to Hawaii. Very, very special place for my grandma. Uh, it's like her favorite place on the planet. I named my first dog Maui because it was like my favorite place. It's, it's really a special place for our family. Uh, so growing up, that was huge. And then in more recent years, a tradition that we've started, I think we started it 
six or seven years ago now was every year on Christmas Eve, uh, we get together, me and my family. Now we've started to bring my grandparents along. Uh, we've started to share this kind of process and tradition on social media. Uh, but we write out cards for people. Um, and then some years we'll put like money in the cards or gift cards or whatever. Um, and then we just go to areas uh, where there's like maybe a lot of military families or like lower income areas. And it's Christmas Eve, you know, it's, it's nine or 10 o'clock at night. And you see families in there who you can tell they're, they're doing their Christmas shopping like last minute. They're stressing. Maybe it's like a mom with like eight little kids all running around. Um, and we just pass out cards to people who God puts on our heart um, to, to give them that card. And then usually we try to all run away so that they don't see that it was us. And then maybe we'll like peek around the corner and watch watch their reaction and uh I th- it's a I really think, really special i think i memory. saw i think i saw that and wasn't there an instance like last year where you guys had to like you forgot to put cash in an, in the card or something was that it, yeah yeah that wasn't a, a you guys that was a shaleen thing oh, she, that forgot. Was a shaleen. Yeah. she forgot yeah on multiple <laughs> on multiple occasions she gave someone a card and then we'd go back to the car and she'd be like oh my gosh like i forgot to put anything in it so this person is like receiving this card but it's like kind of empty inside uh, so that happened not once, but twice last year. And it was ironic because one of the times it happened was at a, a, a mental hospital. Uh, so she said, she said it could be a deposit for her future, her future patient status. It's funny. So like, where do you, like, where do you find these neighborhoods? You just like, cause I mean, Orange County is a pretty prosperous place to live. If, if I, I mean, if I remember correctly, um, like, mm-hmm. is there places on the outskirts that are just more, you know, more in poverty or where do you guys go we typically go to like camp pendleton area the the big military base that kind yeah, yeah. of is uh, between uh, orange county and san diego yep. and there's always a ton of military families there and you see young couples and young military families so yeah um that's amazing that you do that and, and again like you talk about the giving and how it's tenfold giving back i mean i don't think it's any coincidence the success that not only you and your family have had just the amount of giving you do so um Normally at the end of every interview, I talk about like what advice you would give to somebody struggling. I already, you already kind of did that. Right. So the one thing I want to ask you is like, who are, besides the Johnsons, who were some football icons that you would admire and, and why, like if you had to pick like one or two, who were, who were some and then why do you admire them so much? Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, it was, it was Peyton Manning. He was my guy growing up. Absolutely. Um, I think I related to him a lot because he had his dad, Archie Manning and his brother. So he was very much in the football family. Um, so I, I really admired him and looked up to him growing up. Um, and then now I would say my top two are the two shorties in the NFL, uh, Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. Drew Brees, because he has, he's the ultimate family man. Uh, the way he carries himself, he's extremely humble. You wouldn't know it, but the guy has every single NFL passing record, like literally every single statistic. You can look it up. He has the record. Um, I think he doesn't get the credit he deserves, especially being a short quote unquote quarterback. Um, and then Russell Wilson, we actually go to the same church in LA. Um, I can't quite go as regularly because I'm six hours away in Northern California, but whenever I'm in SoCal, the church I go to in LA, uh, the church I listen to online, he also goes to that church and uh, just seeing the way he, he walks with the Lord and the way he carries himself um, and his whole faith journey, which he's been very public about. Uh, I really admire him and look up to him uh, for that as well. That's really cool, man. And it's, and it's, it's amazing how you say that about, you know, Russell and about Drew um, quick story. So one of my good friends and a mentor of mine has been Drew's trainer for, I think like, I don't know, 
10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So I remember, you know, it was real. I was, he was really, you know, it's respect to like not ask for autographs in the gym. So I remember he was in San Diego and I was going out to visit him. I was like, dude, breeze is going to break like every record, like Mm -hmm. the next couple of years. And I was like, I love, like you said, family, man, faith. And I walk and he's like, all right, just bring a Jersey and see what happens. I walk in and um, it just happened to so that they had, it was drew one-on-one with him. And normally there was a group of the guys and I remember Drew walking up to me. He's like, Hey, I'm Drew. And I'm like, that's just how humble he is. And I'm like, yeah. Dude, yeah. <laughs> like, and then like he sat there and he signed the Jersey, wrote like a personalized message and talked to me for like 15 minutes. And was like, you know, wow. where are you from? How'd you get into fitness? You know, what's your story? And I, t- I told him about my drug addiction. He was talking about new Orleans and, and you know, how the hurricane Katrina. And so I can validate what you just said, like a hundred percent about how these guys are. And it's no secret that you're not picking people that, you know, are, getting into trouble all the time or they're you know on the in the news for hitting women and um you're you're picking people that are family people that are that are also business mindset that are smart with money right um so i i think you as somebody who you're you're 22 years old you provided a lot of value for people not only in their 20s but 30s 40s and 50s -hmm. where could people find more about you that if they want to like get more of brock johnson and learn more about what you got going on follow you to see like your tiktok videos and um, what you're doing with, um, Instagram, like where can they do that? Yeah, I think that the best place to get connected with me is on Instagram. My handle is Brock 11 Johnson. We talked about the 11 earlier. Uh, it's right in the middle of my name, Brock 11 Johnson. I would love it. If anyone who was listening today would just follow me there or shoot me a DM. If anyone has any questions or takeaways from, from today's episode, I would love to get connected there. Rock, man. I got to tell you, it's, it's been amazing. And I appreciate you coming on and, um, and listeners, if you're listening to this, you hear a story of a kid who has chosen, made a conscious choice to not like live in the, his, the footsteps of his family and take on his own mission, his own journey, follow God's you know will for him. And then having his parents support along the way, um, So I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Adversity Advantage with myself and Brock Johnson. And um, I can't wait to hear the feedback on what you guys think of this. And I look forward to, to hearing from you guys soon. Doug, thank you so much. Yeah, man.